Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. Looking forward to connecting the dots of your real life lived with what's happening here at Calvary week in and week out. With your host, Jay, I have a great friend of mine in the booth today, Zach Thompson. What's up, dude? Not too much. What's up with you? Oh, man. I, the fall day is really fun. Oh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. The trees have been amazing this year. Yeah. So today was super windy, though. Yeah. And we were inside in a great meeting. I uh, love the way that Calvary cares for staff to help equip and train us. But just outside the window, seeing all of those beautiful leaves just get ripped off the yeah. trees as, as all those wind comes. I had the same thought, actually. I was like, oh, is this the end of the season? With these beautiful beautiful colors but i am so great so this is my first fall living in the state since we uh we got here in january and so to see seasons is is fantastic (laughs) yeah that's right yeah so far all we've had so it snowed for a long time and we had like those two feet of snow pretty pretty late in the snow season and then it got hot and so to see something that's neither of the two is (laughs) is fantastic it's been so cool this is a really good fall actually here in Colorado. So it's a good one for you. Yeah. It's yeah. been good. Hey, we're a lot of things happening at Calvary. Let me just touch some bases here with what can you can connect with here at Calvary. Go to CalvaryBible.com or download the church center app today. Find the mobile bulletin, submit a prayer request, give online, find a group, find a place to connect here at Calvary. We would love for you to be there. Also, there's a great events page specifically to your campus. So wherever you find yourself here at Calvary, Jump on to CalvaryBible.com or Church Center. Find out what's happening in your community. Some major things have been happening. We got Heart of Advent coming up really soon, which this is going to be a really fun year. Yep. Some really cool things are happening there. And then, like always, we have a a great Christmas plan ahead of us Mm -hmm. uh, on all of our campuses. So you want to check out CalvaryBible.com or the Church Center app. Thanks. I can certainly say from how things are shaping up, it's going to be the best Christmas plan that I've seen at Calvary. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's it's going to be good. Hey, so talking about this is my first fallout here. Yeah. What are like the best things in this state that I've been growing in love for? What are the best fall things to do in Colorado? Uh, sign up for ski season. <laughs> get great. your Get your skis tuned up. Before so, the snow comes. So it's look forward <laughs> to something that will come later. Uh, that would just be me, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, th- th- I don't like this name, but people call it leaf peaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. I, it's a weird name to me. People do get up to the mountains probably earlier than October, obviously. Yes. Yeah. So I was at my, pa- my parents live up in Conifer yeah. uh, and was up there helping one day and I could not figure out why the traffic was abysmal. <laughs> like it was just the worst it's ever been in yeah. driving up there. And it was all of these uh, peepers. It's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I don't like that term. That's a big fall thing here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I live and serve in a small town, so Erie's a little more smaller community than Boulder and Thornton. So we do have some, we have like a boo on Briggs, which was really mm. fun. It was like a Halloween themed. Um, there's a lot of things like that happening in our communities. I think that makes Colorado really unique uh, in the fall. Yeah. So I like those things. Uh, one of my favorite things to do in the fall, Zach, is I love Saturday mornings when you open up your windows 
and the cool fall air comes in. That's mm-hmm. my one of my favorite things yeah. about Colorado fall. Yeah, I've been really enjoying. Uh, so normally it's just hot where, yeah. where I was. Uh, so I've been really enjoying this cool combo of being able to wear shorts, but with like a long sleeve shirt. <laughs> yeah, like that, that was awesome. Like it, some, it's something I've never experienced before. And it's, <laughs> it's wonderful. Are you a fan of like the pumpkin spice, everything? I, I like pumpkin. I don't like pumpkin spice, mm. everything. So I will get a lot of pumpkin things. Pumpkin pie, I yeah, think, I love is proof pie. that God loves us <laughs> uh, and, and cares. So, can, oh, so here's, here's our story. Here, here's what we're talking about. So a couple weeks ago, I gave an illustration involving pumpkin pie uh, at the Thornton campus and uh, I slightly throwing Emily under the bus and this like silly illustration for what it is. I, I had people come and give us pumpkin pie <laughs> <laughs> after that illustration. Those are the best sermons when yes. someone delivers a pie to you. Yeah. So we've been talking with people like, oh, now you know, you need yeah. to be careful with this. And it's like, yes, <laughs> I do either need to be careful or just go bigger. <laughs> you know what I love? $10,000. <laughs> what I love is a nice Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a huge fan of pumpkin. Pumpkin spice, though. Yeah, mm, it's not really for me. That's interesting. That's really interesting. You, you on? You know, I. You no, drink it? I, Is that a PSL? I see you no, sipping over definitely there. Definitely not. I can understand why they're tasty and stuff, but it's just never been my jam. And it's just funny to go into like, you know, you go to Hobby Lobby in July and Christmas is there. You know, like, or you go to Walmart in like August and there's a Christmas section already. Mm. It's funny to go to the grocery store and you know it's fall because everything else has pumpkin flavor. Mm-hmm. Like the cereal, the oatmeal, the milk, you know, all the things, the jams, all are pumpkin flavor. You're like, oh, it's fall. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's really funny to me. And it's wonderful. And it's wonderful. <laughs> hey, pumpkin pie is really good. Oh, I know. Okay, so we, we're in the series Hebrews and it's greater than and... We were in six, and now we're in chapter seven and moving into eight this week. It feels like it's flying by. I think we just hit, or just past the halfway point. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. You know, we were talking about Abraham last week, and then this week moved into someone who Abraham ran into, mm-hmm. quite literally, almost, uh, Melchizedek. Who's that? He's a strange character in the Bible. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm asking. Who is he? Yeah, who uh, is he? Who do you think he is? Well, who do you think he is? Do you have like a whiteboard with like strings like attached everywhere? <laughs> like who is Melchizedek? You know, I've given some time to that thought actually. Yeah. I, Why don't you give some time to it here? Well, you know, he's one of my favorite characters of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why that happened. Because um, back in high school, I had this amazing youth minister. I'm just an incredible man, oh God. And he had a couple of Sunday school type things for us on Sunday. Mm. Uh, one was just a very formal Sunday school for most of the high schoolers that everyone was invited into. And then he did, he had like this side room that um, he was just one season. He's like, you know what? This is going to be intense. It's going to be a little mm. deeper for those who are interested. I'm going to teach the book of Hebrews. And it was no bigger than probably the size of a, a kitchen, like the square footage, you know. Mm. And um, it got packed out. I remember weeks sitting on the floor, just crammed in there yeah. with lots of students and lots of volunteers. And people were excited just to go deeper in a book of the Bible. And he walked through week by week the book of Hebrews. So it became one of my favorite books because of that formational. Yeah, totally. You know, and just to hear 
his understanding and my young faith and to disconnect those dots to Christ was wonderful. So Melchizedek was one of those conversations we had openly one week. I remember it like this was like 20 years ago. I still remember the beauty of everyone's ideas and thoughts and his, you know, rabbit trails through the Bible, like trying to get us to dig deeper and to think more uh, thoughtfully about our Bible reading. And it's just really fun, right? It's a, this is one of those moments. So Melchizedek is special to me because it's attached to a great memory, but also he's an interesting character in the Bible because I like Bible trivia. Mm-hmm. That's a really nerdy thing to say out loud. I like Bible trivia. Um, so he usually ends up in some fun categories of Bible trivia, like who didn't die in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, like There's a few like that. Um, but I think Melchizedek is interesting too because he's a king and also a priest. Why is that significant? Well, no one other, uh, no one else held that role. Totally. And in fact, I was just reading. I I cannot remember um, for the life of me. Was there a king who tried to play priest once in the Old Testament? Yeah. Yeah. So Saul did. That's it, right? Yeah. That's right. I was just in Kings, yeah. and th- that hit that story hit me. Yeah, and it was for Samuel. Actually, it was for Samuel. It was one of the reasons why it was. It, it was in that spiral of him losing the the king uh, his role as king uh, was that was a big part of it. That's right. That was right. He yeah. tried to do it. Yeah, yeah. So and Melchizedek is like a really short story too. Uh, it's five verses maybe. And then Hebrews writes a whole section on it. And this isn't the first time that we've heard of Melchizedek in right. Hebrews. Like each time it's like this little nugget of he's a priest forever like Melchizedek. And each week in Thornton, it's had to be like, uh, we'll talk about him later, but not yeah. now. So, okay, here's the question that came up in my life group. Okay. Was this a moment in church history when the writer of Hebrews was writing that Melchizedek was a popular figure that so like, maybe the first century actually understood him better because he was like a popular thing among teaching, you know, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or is it like the reality that the Hebrew writer inspired by God, we always give it that credit has to point out something that is just so significant. So he has to take time with it. Can the answer be yes? Probably. Yeah. So uh, we certainly see Melchizedek as a figure that uh, attracted a lot of folks. So the Qumran community. Uh, oh, that's really good. Okay. Yeah. So uh, to, to clarify, there is this community of people who kind of lived on the outskirts of of Jerusalem, kind of the middle of nowhere, uh, where they were trying to set up a community that was... Uh, perfectly worshiping God. And that's, that's a very high level, uh, like overview of what it is there. There's a ton of details there, but But they also saved the dead sea scrolls. They're responsible. One of the communities, right? Uh, sort of. So we we definitely have some writings because of them, which is great. Uh, they were really interested in Melchizedek. Like Hmm. there was a lot of writings about him. Even I'm, I'm really trying to draw back, on, on study from last week, I think this was true. So I'm going to say it boldly on this podcast and everyone can hold me 
accountable to it uh, to the point where they were coming across him as a priest and a king and looking at the Messiah throughout the Old Testament, see kingly language about the Messiah, but priestly language about the Messiah and how to think, wow, this, this would be somewhat different. Like there, maybe there's two messiahs that are coming because how can you hold these two together? Like Melchizedek was, and so it kind of built up this myth mm. about him. So we do see some aspect to where he was popular at the time, probably had a better understanding about him, but also like people going off the deep end about, right. Oh, he must be this crazy thing. Uh, which and we would never do that as yeah, Christians. Yeah. I was about to say, right? we do that yeah. a lot as Christians. Yeah. Yeah. So totally. But, uh, I, I do think it is significant. Uh, try to trace this line uh, of him being both a priest and a king. You really do have a huge divide when those two things are separated. So with a king, you're able to represent God to the people where you can uh, put his right rule, uh, have his ordinances, uh, care for his people, support them, uh, all while pointing them back to God. You're representing God to the people. What the priest does is represent the people to God. So it's, uh, they have fallen short, and so they need someone to intercede for them to uh, to bridge that gap between God and man. But throughout the history of Israel, they couldn't do anything to lead. They couldn't uh, call people accountable for it. They could cover sins, and that was it. So you have, throughout the Old Testament, kings who cannot save and priests who cannot lead, and what we have is people drifting further and further away from God. Mm-hmm. And so where Melchizedek is interesting is, is it's recognizing that uh, there is a shortcoming in those two roles. It's pointing to a need for something more and something that we see in the very, very early stages of the Bible. Someone who can unite those roles. Mm, that's really wonderful, man. It's why David uh, in Psalm 110, uh, so we only have three places that we hear of Melchizedek, Genesis, Psalm 110, and Hebrews, it's why David, and you think of uh, David's king, uh, he's a man after God's own heart, right. certainly made mistakes, but he's called that. He led Israel through tremendous wars and time of prosperity. Like He left Israel in a tremendous, uh, a, a tremendous state. He looks out over his kingdom, and he writes in Psalm 110, not, look how awesome everything is that I have done as king. It's, there's someone who's coming, but who's greater. Wow. A king and a priest like Melchizedek. That's amazing. So even David, in his learning, his writing, his reading, knew that Melchizedek existed mm-hmm. and that what Melchizedek represented to Abram when Abram came through Salem and gave him a tenth yeah. of tithe. Yep. So David knew of this king, this future king. Yeah. He, he writes about that. Psalm 110, which we've quoted before in the beginning um, uh, yeah, about the chap- kingliness of Jesus. Is that like chapter one or two or two, I think? Right? It, it comes up a couple times. Okay. Psalm 110 gets quoted a ton okay. throughout this. Um, and not just in Hebrews, but it's, I think, I think again, boldly claiming things yeah. that I can barely remember. Uh, I believe it's the most quoted section of the Old Testament uh, in the New Testament. Is Psalm one ten in general, and some of that is Hebrews quotes from it quite a bit. Yeah, uh, totally. for verse one and verse four. But yeah, in that verse, there is my Lord says to my Lord, um, set at the right hand of God, uh, and then you have you are a priest forever after uh, after the order of Melchizedek. So you have someone in this kingly position of power 
someone in this priestly position to uh, represent the people to God combined in one in one section. That's wonderful. Okay, so one of the things I realized, I think that's really just stuck with me from thinking about this guy, Melchizedek, and is that line that I sort of hung my hat on this week was, that's a Texas expression for sure. <laughs> if that's not a Texas expression, I don't know what it is. Um, is that we we all need a high priest. Mm. I think that's a big thing sort of in my heart still. Why do why do we still need a high priest? Yeah, so this is this is an idea that we learn really early on. I, I think of that uh, is it is it crew that has that that famous drawing of yeah. the two cliffs. Yeah. Uh, this the so if you can picture this, dear listener, uh, on one side there is a cliff, and uh, that is labeled for us, so all of humanity. On the other side is a separate cliff labeled God, this giant chasm in between us. And the idea is this is what happens when sin enters into this world, that we are not united with this God as we are designed to be. Like we were designed to be known and known by this God. And in fact, in us, the, the part that aches for more, it's because we are not, uh, we're not living in the way that we're designed to be. We are designed to be in relationship with God, but sin makes that, uh, that, not uh, be possible that we are separated from this good and holy and perfect God when we choose imperfection instead uh, that that we are not able to be joined with this God as we so desperately need as we so want as we are so designed uh, and so what we need is someone mm. who can bridge that gap mm-hmm. someone who can uh, bring us together uh, to intercede for us is the biblical word uh, to make relationship with God possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, in that napkin drawing, you put, we call that, uh, was it napkin theology around here? Yeah. And put the cross and that's where Jesus spans that gap. Yeah. That, well, that's where you're giving the answer as to right. how we get that high priest now. But but in the, the old covenant, which we've been talking a lot throughout Hebrews, yeah, we'll continue on for the next couple weeks. It's important to our faith. Mm, really exactly important. right. Yeah. Uh, God gave someone, and to show uh, to show the, the direness of the separation, gave pages of instructions and limitations for who this person is to be. Like, this isn't... Uh, this isn't God being restrictive or anything. This is how uh, unassailable this gap is, that it needs to be one person on one day a year in one place from one family line following all of these cleanliness laws. There's even pages of instructions about what he's supposed to wear. Like all of this has to be done uh, in order for them to bridge that gap that we so desperately need someone to bridge that gap for us. But this is the the seriousness of it and how difficult it is to do that. A high priest had to fill all these these requirements. Yeah, totally. It makes me wonder, you know, when we talk about we're needing someone to save us, mm. you know, we this is a very dominant Protestant thought, but it's like that someone that we don't need anyone between us and God. It mm-hmm. can just be us. Yeah. It sort of I'm sort of debunk that sort of theory that we have sometimes of that sort of that individualistic religion. Yeah. So we, we go to first Peter, which talks about the priesthood of all believers. So there is a biblical aspect of this, but 
I think what you're latching on with the Protestant part, like we don't need to go into a confessional with some sort of wood lattice between us and some dude on the other side who we totally know who it is and give or have them intercede for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's the idea there. And, and in one sense, that's true. We don't need to go there. We don't need to have another person intercede for us mm-hmm. only because we have someone interceding for us already. So it isn't that uh, God has saved us through Jesus, and so the the two cliffs have been pushed together. That, that's not it at all. Right. Uh, it's we don't need anyone else to intercede for us because Jesus is already doing that. The, the verse, I read it a couple times on Sunday, uh, verse 25, uh, Jesus, since he, this is Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them, for those who can draw near to God, for those who are saved by him. So we don't need another person to be a priest for us because we already have a priest, right. and that's Jesus, who is always making intercession for us. There's not a moment where he is stopping doing that. This isn't uh, uh, how we have the cable company come, and they're only going to work through a certain window of time, maybe. That's not what it says, always making intercession. This isn't a health clinic that's closed on weekends because, you know, humans are immortal on the weekend. Right. Uh, this is, he always lives to make intercession. There isn't a moment where Jesus is stopping this role as high priest that we so desperately need someone to bridge that gap. Uh, all the seriousness that was taken to do so in the Old Testament, now it's being done through Jesus yeah. who took that penalty that punishment, that that death that was ours to himself. And now he died for us, and now he lives for us, making intercession always. So what's the really just, I want to get down to the really, I think that's wonderful. Like, I, I, I love where you're going with this, but how practically, like, what does a, a high, you know, we don't have high priests in our lives mm-hmm. right now. We don't see them. Well, we have Jesus as high well, priest. Well, <laughs> yes. I but, mean, I was just making that uh, point. <laughs> Okay, but uh, what is like really practical level? What does a high priest do for us on a daily basis that we can be encouraged by? Like, you know, times, you know, our faith is floundering sometimes. Our our lives are in turmoil. Um, you know, all those things that happen in a practical human experience. What are the practical like pastoral things that we can just hang our once again, hang our hat on. Mm-hmm. That expression comes up again. Um, that really just like gives us great encouragement and great hope. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first bit of that is how do we bridge this gap between us and God? As I said, there's this ache in all of us because we are designed to be in relationship with him. And in the Old Testament, the the high priest was able to stand in that gap to intercede for the people to God, to represent the people to yeah. God. And so, so now able to know and be known by God is possible through a high priest. There's so, some shortcomings with that. Yeah. But it's perfected in Jesus. So like we literally have Jesus today in this moment making appeals to the Father on our behalf. He always lives to make intercession for them. Yeah, absolutely. What else does a high priest do? So this is also covering for sin, uh, that the priest would go and offer sacrifices, and we see the greater sacrifice that's offered in Jesus here. Mm-hmm. Um, we see... Uh, which is once and for all, which is verse 27 and 28 mm-hmm. says, like, 
it's just a finished work. It's yeah. like, it doesn't have to be perpetual. See it again in chapter 10, again, yeah. constantly hitting that point of, of this has happened. This is sealed. There's certainty there. And, and that's, that's what the section is. Like we talked a lot about hope mm. last week. Okay. Uh, we had that beautiful verse uh, at the end of chapter six, uh, in verse 19, we have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, how does that give us hope? Like, what is what is there hope about with Jesus taking on this role as high priest? And I think this is what chapter 7 talks about, that, that we all need someone to intercede for us. And Jesus is doing that. Well, we might have questions like, how do we know that that he won't fail like other high priests before him? Well, we have, he's sealed by God's oath. Mm -hmm. God is swearing by him that he will do this. So we don't have to wonder, will he fail? Will God bring in some new, new covenant? That's not at all. So we can trust in God's promises and that gives us hope that Jesus can save us completely. I really like the other part of, Verse 25 that we haven't said yet, he is able to save to the uttermost, yep. completely to the brim, absolutely full, whatever we want to put there, Jesus can save to that extent fully. And he's always working. So we have the quality of his work, uttermost, and the duration of his work always. And that gives us hope there as well. And then there's also, uh, there's no wonder, uh, we just, they always say don't meet your heroes like your heroes can let you down yeah and the high priests were kind of the heroes of the day like they were able to intercede for god like that that's desperate need in all of us and jesus he can do that and we can meet him and not have him let us down because he is perpetually perfect that's as so, it ends that's yeah. so good man that's so comforting so okay let's as we turn the corner into Chapter eight and nine and the the next half of this book. What are you excited about? What are you like hopeful for? What are you what are you sort of thinking about a lot as you think about Hebrews? Yeah, so we get a continuation of thought. So it's uh Jesus as high priest interceding between us and God. Uh, we see in there a new covenant, these promises that are given from God. Mm -hmm. uh, we see the basis by which he's able to do this with uh, the sacrificial system, 9 uh, through 10, 18. We're going to get in a couple weeks. There's going to be a lot of blood. It's going to be good. <laughs> a bummer we missed uh, Halloween for it, but <laughs> but it will still be good to, to do all that. Uh, just Just a lot of this pointing to this Jesus who so saves us and was thinking uh, about him and, and really appreciated the conversation that you and Thomas had last week, talking through the life of Abraham, this, this man who is called by God. We see tremendous faith in him and yet constantly failing. And, and you guys highlighted that and uh, really appreciated there, this dissidence you, you, you mm, talked about. I, yeah. I think from Luby's, uh, Mark Luby's sermon in Erie, uh, drawing from that, uh, this encouragement when there seems to be a disconnect between what I'm doing and what God has called me to. And, and it made me go back and uh, what, reading through Genesis and this account of Abraham meeting Melchizedek made me think of a little bit of that dissonance and see even more the grace of God there. So we talked about how he met him. 
uh, right before then he is with his nephew Lot and they're in this land and they're realizing that there's more animals than the land can sustain. And so Abraham says, you know what? I will back away. You pick wherever you want to go and I will go somewhere else. Yeah. And so Lot looks around. And he's like, well, this, this area outside the Jordan Valley just so happens to look really amazing. So I guess I'll guess I'll pick that for myself. Yeah. You know, very kind of him to only pick the best area. Uh, and so Abram, uh, Abram at the time, we know him as Abraham goes to this area and, and God says to him, uh, lift, uh, this is Genesis 13, 14, lift your eyes and look from the place where you are. It gives him all these directions. He says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if uh, one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can, so it's basically your offspring will be numerous mm-hmm. and I will give them this land. This is before the Abrahamic covenant. It's a promise given to Abraham. It's an incredible promise. You will have this land your offspring will be so numerous. And God says in verse 17, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And then verse 18, Abram moved its tent and came and settled. He came and settled. Mm. He was told to walk the land, mm. but he instead settled. Uh, it's really interesting. So God says, I will give you this land. Go and walk it. Abraham settles. After this lot is over by the city of Sodom, which is best we can tell is like south of the the Dead Sea, so the very southern part of Israel. He gets captured and conquered. Abraham forms an army and he chases them. And it specifically tells us, chases them up to Dan. Dan is the very north of Israel, the land that God would give him. So we have this incredible moment where God says, walk the length and breadth. Uh, he doesn't do that. Yeah. His nephew gets captured and he's forced to walk the entire uh, distance to chase after his nephew. That's interesting. This makes me think of the times where like God tells us to do something and something goes wrong. And you know, like, we wonder like, Oh, did we mess up too bad? Yeah. Like, are we being punished by this? This is, uh, did we really mess up? Uh, and then you get this incredible story after that, of him meeting Melchizedek, a mm-hmm. priest of God, most high, who blesses him like in those times where we aren't being as faithful as we ought to. uh, This isn't God who gives up on us. This is God who is patient and loving and kind, but he does also give us prod in the direction, walk the length and breadth of the land, refusing to do so, having to do that, uh, what God had required of him uh, for some reason. I I think of Jonah as well, go to Nineveh. And he refuses to do so, swallowed by this fish, and he gets spit up on at where? At Nineveh. At Nineveh, yeah. yeah. God prodded him in the right direction to do what he knew was good, what was right. Uh, not giving up on someone, but in the midst of this time of faithlessness, what looked like he was being punished by God, Abraham is actually blessed by a priest of God Most High. Yeah, it reminds me that God does not waste any material of our life. Mm-hmm. Like, he's... No matter how dissident it feels, no matter how chaotic it feels, God uses it all for eventually his glory yeah, and for his people. And we, and that's, I think, our takeaway with this as well, that we have Jesus interceding for us. Mm-hmm. We always need someone to intercede for us. We are continuously falling short of the standards of this good God. And it isn't that he stops doing that for us. He... Uh, gives up on us halfway through and he is able to save to the uttermost Mm. because he always lives to make intercession for them. 
Zach, it's been so good to be with you, man. Yeah, likewise. thanks for your wise words, wise counsel, thoughtfulness. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, Calvary, I hope you're appreciating it as well. If you ever want to reach out to Zach and encourage him, you can always go to the staff page, email him, let him know what you think about his comments in uh, the weekly, what he's doing in Thornton campus. Be praying for him. You know, this is a great ministry area here at Calvary. We need to be, be praying for Zach. I know he wouldn't ask that for himself, but that we just be praying, encouraging him in this season of great ministry there in Thornton. Hey, the close today is from verse 19. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Calvary, Calvary let's be reminded a better hope is introduced in our life. Mm. That hope is in Christ, that we can draw near to God. And so this week, take some time, pause, sit down, and be invited into drawing near to God. He'll bless you. I guarantee you. Hey, Calvary, we love you. Thanks for listening. You can always write us at theweekly at calvarybible.com. Love to hear from you. And above and beyond, have fun eating all that pumpkin that's here in That's the fall right. of Colorado. Yep. <laughs> See you, Zach. See, See you, Calvary. Yeah.